Joining me now is an old friend of the radio station, someone who's been with us before, and we're so happy to see him back again. Maestro Peter Ungen, welcome back. Thank you very much, Chris. It's lovely to be here. Two world premieres and the Tchaikovsky Pathétique. What were you thinking? <laughs> well, about 10 days ago, I was um, on my way out the door from my home in Connecticut to go on a, a, a tour of Europe with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, and uh, and I got a call saying that uh, Leonard Slatkin um, had had very successful heart surgery but had decided to pull out of the last three weeks of his concerts and um, they had found out that I was actually free for these five days. Uh, so I came back from Dresden on uh, Monday to New York and flew on Tuesday to Detroit uh, to start to rehearse these pieces. Now, it was very important because these programs have been planned so far in advance and they're, they're two world premieres that, that I conduct that music that uh, uh, Leonard had planned to conduct. And uh, so I immediately asked for the scores. And one of the wonderful things about nowadays is that you can you can receive a score on your phone in seconds, yeah. uh, the entire score, and try to decipher it. But uh, so I studied both scores uh, sort of briefly and thought, I, I think I can probably get my head around these these pieces uh, in time to present them. And uh, so that's that's what we've done. And when Tchaikovsky six, of course, you know, what can you say about that's one of the greatest symphonies ever written? Well, it's a, a lot on your plate there, sir. Uh, let's talk about these these world premieres. There's, as we said, two of them. One is by Roshan Erizadi. Uh, world premiere, Diamond Rain. That's an intriguing title. Yes, it is. Uh, she was fascinated by something that the scientists had developed um, in the summer of 2017. They, they seem to have recreated uh, atmospheric conditions on Neptune or some such thing. And, uh, and they were trying to prove uh, a curious meteorological phenomenon and that involved the sort of artificial lightning. Uh, she describes it as activating particles of carbon and hydrogen in the atmosphere, resulting in proof that diamonds can rain down out of the sky on certain planets uh, in the outer reaches of our solar system. So clearly we're living on the wrong planet. Well, yeah, except we like to breathe and stuff <laughs> like that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Good point, Chris. Thanks. But anyway, it's it's actually, um, seriously speaking, it's it's really a lovely, very colorful piece. Uh, lots of beautiful textures and, and wonderful harmonies. And it's very, very, she has very good craft. So I'm, I'm very pleased. About a 10-minute opening piece of the program. And then we are going to have a, a premiere of a, of a violin concerto by Christopher Cerrone called Breaks and Breaks. And this is a piece that is, I suppose one might call it minimalist in style in that it, it has a lot of fragments that are, are repeated and, and they, they continue for a certain length of time until there's an event, either a, you know, a change of harmony or a change of bass note or a change of rhythmic concept uh, or even just a change of texture. And it's a series of events that goes on. It's about a 16-minute piece, and it features Jennifer Coe, wonderful violinist, who's done actually a huge amount of premieres of terrific works in the last few years. And it's, it's really quite mesmerizing to listen to. Have you worked with Jennifer before? A few months ago, I worked with her and did Chain 2 by Lutislavsky um, in Los Angeles. Oh. So I have worked with her quite recently. The most important thing with this piece is to figure out exactly how the balances are going to work because 
he he does use the violin very much in conversation with the orchestra at all times. I mean, there's there isn't a cadenza, for example. There's no no moment where the violin just plays by itself. So it's always layered into the orchestra texture in a very interesting way. And there's a lot of stability in the orchestra texture in that, like very long notes that are held in unusual instruments, like even contrabassoon or or bass clarinet. Um, or the horns might be holding a note, or various wind instruments will enter gradually to create additional layers. And meanwhile, there's a rhythmic element that's going between all of the voices. Like, quite often, it's the solo goes to the first violin, solo to the second violin, solo to the viola, solo to the cello. So so it's actually, it's quite um, electrifying to watch all of this going on as Mm. well. So it's, it's a very interesting kind of piece, because when I was young, which was uh, you know a while ago. Let, let's say in the seventies, you you didn't very you didn't young very young. yeah uh, you didn't write music like this. You couldn't write music like this really. It was the beginning. You know Philip Glass was just beginning at that time. Why couldn't you write it? Well, because people would laugh at it. Oh. Frankly, <laughs> you know because it, it had to be really hard to listen to 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 be taken seriously. Oh. Do you see what I mean? It was that period of yeah. time in the sort of mid twentieth century as things developed. You weren't taken seriously unless you were a real modernist. And um, and most people would, I think, listen to music. And if they were quite confused by it, they would find it really profound. I mean, a little bit, um, <laughs> a little bit sarcastic now. That's because, insane. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, but it's, tr- it's true. There, there is some truth to it that that we became kind of addicted to newness and and things that were difficult. And uh, you know, I often look back at this because I grew up with the Beatles, right? And and so when I was a very young player. The, the, the classical music. I mean, Benjamin Britten was the most famous musician in England in 1962. You know, he wrote the War Requiem, and I mean, nobody took anyone else seriously. Certainly not the Beatles. They were just starting. And by the 70s, classical music had taken a back seat because pop or rock music was so much more accessible. This is my theory. It was also amplified, and it was exciting and easy listening in many cases. But there was a lot of very great. Um, rock music being played. This is a very short <laughs> definition of what I see to have happened in the last uh, uh, you know, half a century or so. Yeah. And I, I think really in the last 20 or 25 years, a lot of people have said, you know, we can write, quote, classical art music that is accessible too. There's nothing to be ashamed of in writing things that are actually not difficult to listen to. Um, and at the same time, obviously, there is a lot of great music written in modernist style. And it's fast. I love all kinds of contemporary music and I conduct all kinds of contemporary music. Uh, I only bring that up because we do live in an age where you can say, I'm going to hear a world premiere. And it might be actually the, the, the most tonal piece on a program. Yeah. And that simply wasn't the case yeah. 40 years ago. That's, that's a very interesting point. My guest is Peter Ungen the uh, music director of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. More on that in a moment. Uh, And the uh, designated hitter for the Detroit Symphony Orchestra (laughs) in concerts this weekend, Friday morning at 10.45, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, and uh, Sunday afternoon at 3. Now, after these two world premieres, the rest of the program is filled with another symphony, the Tchaikovsky Pathetique that had... um, in its day, and and I guess in some respects to to this day, some avant-garde aspects to it. Uh, very true. Um, I mean, basically, I, I think you're referring mostly to the fact that um, the, the the final movement is not a big joyous 
uh, bombastic Allegro or Vivace or something like that, which was uh, what Tchaikovsky had written in almost every single case with every single piece. But even before that, that last movement, you know, Dave Brubeck gets credit for uh, Take 5, but that second movement, that waltz, that crazy waltz that Tchaikovsky wrote is just brilliant. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. Yeah, I mean, it's so elegant and so beautiful. And the middle section of that is searingly yearning. I mean, this this is among the greatest music that could ever have been conceived for anybody who would listen to this would be stunned by it I think I mean and most people who are listening of course know the piece but it's it's a staggering thing and then the third movement is this the most dramatic life-affirming march although it has a kind of a dark side to it and, and he himself said that it had some kind of a solemnity to it that march which is really interesting so there's a rigidity to the rhythm which has at times a little bit of anger in it um, but it's highly dramatic and incredibly exciting and has a, a final uh, 30 seconds which just gets you out of your seat and and this he, Tchaikovsky was very aware of people would just jump up and applaud of course in those days people applauded after every movement uh, yeah. you know, that that hadn't Sometimes yet changed during. yes ex- exactly it was more like a jazz concert i think but yeah. but um so and and i never discourage applause after that movement because once people applaud and they they respond to the electrifying excitement that they've just experienced as soon as that applaud finishes when you you leap into this tragic descending scale and by the way the pretty much the entire piece is made up of scales up or down oh, it's one yeah. of the most remarkable things and a series of brilliant suspensions at all, all kinds of places but um but as soon as you 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 enter into that world uh, you take people from their most elated possible spirit to the most ultimate in devastation and disappointment and it is such a powerful one of the most powerful m- moments in in any musical experience it- the the Russian word might have been more accurately translated as uh, passionate rather than pathétique, but the the French translation uh, hung on, and and the the downside of the symphony is uh, uh, seemed to to overshadow some of the other aspects of it. But that last movement is uh, boy, that's certainly a, a grabber. It is. I mean, it's um, it takes us into places that we don't often d- dwell into because uh, it's perhaps too uncomfortable. But we all are familiar with that feeling of, of, of darkness and emptiness and and devastating loneliness that he expresses in that movement. But there is also a middle passage which is among the most beautiful moments. And it, it feels to me that this is what he always would have longed for it's his asp- ultimate aspiration is is a world of such tenderness and beauty and sensitivity there's another word by the way path- pathétique or pathetic they're not the same word uh, mm. sensible and sensitive and all these words in different languages one has to be very careful because you mm. can't translate them directly but 
um, this this kind of vision of a perfect world, one in which Tchaikovsky himself could have been comfortable because he led a, a life of, of absolute conflict, being a homosexual in the late part of the 19th century or any part of the 19th century or for that matter to this day in, in Russia was impossible. Uh, and it, it was absolutely crucial that, that he hide that. And the, there was a, a, a deep-rooted pain that is expressed most powerfully in this piece and particularly in this final movement. We can all identify with what it is to be an outsider. On, on some level or another, we have all experienced being an outsider. Uh, and, and so we can, we can be sympathetic to whatever it is that another person is experiencing which, which leaves them feeling in that position. Wonderful piece. And it will be really something to hear in Orchestra Hall with this orchestra and this conductor. I'm speaking with Peter Ungen. Uh, before we let you go, and I know you've got a lot of work to do to get ready for the concerts, this is your final season as music director in Toronto. It's been a good run. You've had uh, some major accomplishments in that time. Um, but you, I, I don't know whether you heard this or not, but there's, there's an opening in Detroit. Are you leaving? Not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> but we're we're kind of looking for another stick man or woman. Uh, well, first of all, uh, thank you for those comments about Toronto because it's been a great pleasure 14 years, really 15 years that I've been there. And uh, actually, the principal violist and the second oboist of the Detroit Symphony left the Toronto Symphony to come here. Huh. Uh, Eric Nolan was our associate principal. Uh, and, and and anyway, I'm just thrilled to be here. I always love to be here. You know that, Chris. I love this orchestra. I've I've spent a lot of time here over the years, and they've always been incredibly generous uh, to me, both personally and musically. And uh, and the hall is wonderful, and the the the, the public are wonderful. So um, you know, I I have the greatest admiration for this organization, and and I and I always will. That sounds like a uh, one of those pol- political non-committal answers. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not running. A, I might be running. I don't know. But I mean, it obviously, it's not not for me to to decide who's the next music director well, of the Detroit no, Symphony. But, but uh, you know, I can. But, I, I'm very happy to say how much I love the orchestra and uh, how much I care about the orchestra. Let well. me put it this way: Have you been looking for houses while you've been in Detroit? <laughs> you always have the best questions. Uh, you also have that gig in uh, in Scotland. Uh, next week is my final week in Scotland. I'm oh, doing right? I'm doing Marla Nine. Yeah, well, and I will conduct at the Proms, the Britain War Requiem, at the beginning of September. But no, I I decided to time it this way to to kind of free up my schedule, free up my my, my mind a little bit, so that I can uh, freely move on to to the next project. Peter Ungen, we're very glad to have you back in Detroit. Uh, don't be a stranger. Always glad to have you. Always lovely to be here. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> 